Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode four of the American Rugby Show. I am one of your hosts, Alex Corpusero. And let's just welcome this guy back. Todd, welcome back to the pod. Congratulations on getting married. You're back from Switzerland. Thanks for having me. I missed you guys. And uh, yeah, it's official, you know, married my dream girl and uh, stoked to be back. And I know it's a cardinal sin to have your wedding during rugby season. So uh, much apologies to everybody, but, uh, but I'm back and eager and, and we have a great show. Now, when we're finally able to enjoy a beer together after this pandemic properly, I'll, I'll make it make up for it then. And uh, we'll celebrate then properly too. But Joe, we have a fantastic show for everyone today. You know, you've got you, me, Rob Hoadley reunited, but then we've also got Phil McKenzie. Phil is just like yourself, you know, a large in life character, you know, represented Canada rugby at World Cups, played over uh, overseas in the UK, played in New Zealand, played in the initial pro league uh, back in its infancy in the United States. He's, but he's most known for his success away from rugby with the lean squad and his Instagram success with his fitness and nutrition building. We've got him on for the State of the Union. We're going to dive into lots there. We've got him on for a new segment, Glory Days, where we're going to get into some old stories, get into it as well. And then it's you, me and Hoadley uh, tucking into the MLR breakdown and get into the nitty gritty of round four of the MLR. All right, it's time for the State of the Union. This is the biggest guest we've had so far on the American Rugby Show. Todd, we are joined by uh, Phil McKenzie, Mr. Lean Squad himself. Phil, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, boys. Life for you must be hectic, mate. Like, you've got twins. You had a, you, you've got three kids, but you've got twin babies. Talk us through, how, how do you manage day-to-day -day operations? I don't know if it's managing much as it is surviving. I think um, if you're looking to spice things up, you just pop out a couple of twins. But that's when things got really crazy. I mean, be like the last five minutes of a rugby game, it's just chaos, kids flying everywhere, screaming, diapers. And then you're trying to, you know, manage the whole other side, which is Instagram, business, all that stuff. And the moment the twins were born is literally the moment the pandemic, like we went on lockdown. Right as we walked in the hospital, we weren't even sure if I was going to be able to go in. And that's when you're just like, man, life is crazier than ever before. But at the same time, it's a good kind of crazy as long as, you know, it's just the mind set you're bracing yourself every day for anything goes anything goes that's a good way of looking at it that's for sure i mean you uh you know probably best rig in uh, in world rugby turn it into a business and it's a special one you know and uh you know it's got to be rewarding as well of changing people's lives kudos to you yeah, I was trying to um, model my business, basically, Todd. I don't think I ever told you this, but I saw you after post-game shirtless, and I said, I need to monetize that. So how do I turn Todd's body into a business there? I was going to say, you got two of the best wigs um, out there. Good old locker, locker room chat. You know, it's always a friendly over a cold beer after a <laughs> So the next question Todd will be after is cut, obviously. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I take that back. I take that back. Intellectual property suit <laughs> is being filed right now. Just while we're, we're on big picture stuff, you know, being a dad already scares me. Puts, you know, a little bit of fear in my heart. You, you had a son, you, you brace for, for child one, and then you find out you're having twins. What, what is that like? I honestly, this story cracks me up because 
we were so calm going into baby two. It was like, we've done it before. My wife, she's like, you know, I've got the whole playbook. I'm ready. And I remember she was going for her scan that day, um, you know, uh, the 12 week scan. And she's like, you don't even need to come. I'm like, you sure? She's like, no, you can watch our, our toddler. And anyway, she calls me like hysterical. And I'm like, oh my God, we're having a miscarriage. You know, Brody had a couple of miscarriages and I was just bracing for the worst. She could barely get out of words. So I asked the neighbor to watch Hudson. I run out of the house, pull into the driveway. Brody gets there and she can't even speak. And she just like gets out her phone and she shows me a picture of scan. She's like, <laughs> like holding tears just dripping down. And she's like, we're having twins. <laughs> And she was just like completely taken back. You know, it was just such a shock. Um, and it, I'm not going to lie. Like if you even ask her, I don't think they were tears of joy. Actually, far from it. It was just pure fear. Um, and like, how are you going to survive? But, you know, I mean, she's been amazing like the number one mom, she's just embraced it again. You know, I know Hodes, you're a big mindset guy. And I think like, it is all about mindset because we talked to a lot of twin parents before and they're like, your life is over. Um, but I think it's what you make of it, you know, and, and, uh, it's all about just like embracing yourself for the craziness, you know, that's par for the course. And, uh, but you get so much back because of it, right? We've got two for the price of one now. And like, I literally couldn't imagine it any other way. So as crazy as it is, as like scary as it was, it was one of those moments where you're faced with this challenge. And, uh, you, you know, looking back now, it, it seems crazy that we were like super scared and, you know, upset and, and panicking. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was how we found out anyways. Good on you, Phil. And, uh, and when it comes to mindset, all I know now is we, as professional sportsmen or athletes or coaches around the world, we've just got so much to learn from mums. I mean, they're on a different level. <laughs> and coping with the three, I mean, Brody is a hero. I totally agree. I mean, like, you know, you should get, I've, we never had one. We've had a lot of public speakers in the rugby days, but you should get a couple mums in and then boys will really understand. They'll be like, holy shit, that's how you do it. Um, because, you know, I honestly think like now, you know, being in lockdown the last year, watching Brody every day, like working is 10 times easier. Getting out of the house, going to work is like a million times easier than managing one, two, three kids. You know, it's just, it's crazy. So um, yeah, I definitely agree there. And the IG content alone is gold. All right, guys, I guess it's time to actually talk about some, some rugby topics uh, here. You know, Todd, what, what do you want to bang off the bat? Phil's had a stint many stints overseas and, you know, North America, Canada and States about, you know, sort of the Toronto team coming down and, and playing away uh, for the whole season. And it's got to be challenging for them. I mean, what, what's, what's your insight or what, what are your thoughts on that, Phil, of, of uh, having Toronto coming in and for the whole MLR season, you know, playing, uh, playing away games? You know, honestly, I think it's unbelievably tough. Uh, at the end of the day, it is such a huge challenge, you know, for so many of these guys, you're comfortable in, you know, your home setting, you know what to expect, you know, your training facilities, not to mention your family, your friends, your support group, and then you're uprooting in the middle of a pandemic, heading to the States, you know, in a hotel. And I've talked to some of the guys, you can't even have breakfast. Like, you know, you're on your own, nowhere to cook breakfast. You got to go out for dinner. If you're like me, I don't know what you were, you guys were like um, when I played, like I had the same meal before every game, you know, I was like regimented. Um, I was game day came and that was like, I was in the zone. And when you're on the road and there are so many unknowns, it's just crazy. And like, this sounds like, 
you know, insane. But I remember 2011 World Cup, which was like top world class facilities. You know, we were like, I'm not complaining about anything whatsoever, but they served us um, deer for lunch before we were playing Japan. And I remember I had like a panic attack. I've never had it. And, you know, uh, and so I'm calling, I'm calling people. I'm like, I need to get some kind of meal that I'm used to. And this is just like purely like superstition. But again, it just goes to show you that was before like a World Cup match and the food, like not slagging off because it was amazing, I'm sure. But it was all about me being in a routine and comfortable with my like surroundings. And I was just so thrown off by it um i remember i had to go beeline it to subway uh, <laughs> and eat a subway before we played the test match and but it was like the anxiety and everything that built up before that game um and so these guys are dealing with this not just like for a run-up to one game but the entire season and there's so many unknowns i mean i really really feel for them because i think toronto has done such a good job of getting a foothold in this league and really like making you know bringing professional rugby to the forefront in canada and to uproot it away from their fans i mean i just really really feel for these guys and at the end of the day it's one of those things it's it's going to be a huge challenge and it's just going to come down to how they cope with it i think yeah with this pandemic i mean it's definitely throwing some curveballs uh you know with, with many of the teams i mean we talked about san diego uh having to move to vegas and on short-term notice and, and obviously you know, now I think the ownership group is, you know, yeah, maybe it would have saved us money having us there. Um, but the players, I mean, I don't speak with, I can't give any quotes or any names, but they can't be happy living in the middle of the desert in, in Vegas compared to, you know, living on the beaches in San Diego. I mean, you, you know that from your breaker days of, of how glorious, uh, you know, the sunshine of, uh, of San Diego is. But, uh, you know, credit to Toronto and the ownership group too. You know, they're making, uh, making the best out of it. And I hope they do turn around because it is great for North American rugby. We want to have, you know, not just, you know, for USA, for MLR. We want to have Canada. Because I know there was some rumblings, uh, you know, if, if there's going to be a West Coast Canadian team in Vancouver. It, does anyone have uh, an ear to the ground on that one? What about you, Phil? You know what? I When I was first coming over, when I went to San Diego, there were a lot more rumors. I don't know if it was because I was entrenched in the rugby world. I remember Hodes, like when we were together, like hearing rumblings about it happening. And it always seemed like a logical spot because West Coast is where like, you know, everyone was based. And that was like the rugby epicenter by far was the West Coast. And I think now it's kind of shifted. Um, and that was for a lot of reasons. So I think, you know, again, it would be amazing to have one. You've seen the success they've had with their sevens. I think it was the best seven stop, um, I guess, two years ago now. Um, and it was an incredible event. They did it right. And I think, you know, rugby in Toronto was starting to get that way. You know, it was getting more and more attendance, making kind of a spectacle and event of it, which I think, you know, San Diego was certainly trying to do when we were there, uh, hoes back in the day. And um I, I do feel for them. I think like Bill Webb, the owner of Toronto, he has done everything right. Uh, and he's super passionate about actually growing this and not just making this some short-term commitment. Like he's in it for the long haul. So again, like you said, Todd, you know, just the fact they've showed up is testament to where their head's at. Um, and now it's just, again, dealing with that challenge because it's certainly like for me, you know, imagine you have to pack up your family and say, see you later at the end of the year. That's a, that's a tough ask to do and, and get out of your comfort zone. So, yeah. And just a point um, on the prospect of a West Coast team, which would be very exciting. Just a note that I think Jamie Cubmore is doing a fantastic job um, 
developing the youth program of Canada. He's got a lot of the under-23 prospects, and you're seeing a few of them filter into the league now. Uh, Tyler Rowland uh, signed a contract with uh, Toronto this year, doing very well in the front row. Uh, Quinn scored for Rooney today. So Jamie's doing a fantastic job, and wouldn't that be a hell of a thing to maybe see Jamie Cudmore leading a Canadian team in the MLR? Yeah, I think um, so. Jamie actually came out again. My timeline's all because of the pandemic, so I'm guessing I'm going back two years. It was the launch. They, uh, Bill Webb put a huge launch at um, an amazing bar right downtown Toronto. You know, there were hundreds of people. Jamie was in town to build that relationship with Toronto, and I think you know, this is just speaking from my own perspective. When you see a guy like Jamie who is like reached the pinnacle of rugby not to mention you know he's a great guy this is just what i felt like when i was at 2011 world cup and you know i'm literally looking up at him and i'm like man this is what you can achieve you know uh, as a rugby player you can have that kind of success and to these guys in the west coast you know super young super eager to have that kind of image instilled in you i think is so so important and, and for so many years you know canada didn't have that right you know Jamie was you know you, you couldn't watch the games on TV you know you weren't really seeing him unless you were in that Canada fold and now that he's home with these young guys bringing them up and he's super passionate about it I think uh it can really go a long way and just touching on the MLR in general and its impact on rugby in Canada just just the opportunity that it is giving players. We've touched a little bit on how much that's going to impact the, the US players of, of just what is the, the alternative to, to not having these opportunities. You stay in Canada, you play, you know, amateur rugby or whatever you do, or they take, you know, the, the Phil McKenzie route and they go abroad and they try and play in the champ and they fight for the opportunities in the premiership, but that's harder because of some of the foreigner rules they have over there. How how big is this going to be in in in, in long-term development for this Canadian player pool and for Canada to sort of, you know, keep elevating themselves as close as they can from that tier two to tier one status. Massive. I think in terms of like, you have to be able to see where you can go to, right? And, you know, for years, there was nowhere to go to. I remember being in Canada, I was earning 1500 bucks at the time, which was great as an 18 year old kid. We got our university paid for and I hit 22 and I'm like, where am I going here? There's nowhere for me to go. You know what I mean? And that's, that was the reality. So it's either you, you keep earning 1500 bucks um, and just keep playing for Canada, which obviously is a huge honor, but you know, I was, I was just, I was in my mind, I was like, I have to keep moving forward or at least trying to um, otherwise, what am I doing? You know? So for me, that was my perspective. I packed my bags, you know, I went to New Zealand, tried to play there, had no contacts, completely left the Canada fold and ended up getting a, a contract in Coventry in the champ from there. And, you know, my whole mindset was just, try and grind it out and see what happens. And that's, you know, that was a really, really challenging route. Um, and not to say that should deter anyone, but now the goal is so, so much closer, right? You could be in that Canada fold as a young, you know, 17 year old, and you can say, Oh, I could go play for Toronto arrows. And maybe you start earning, you know, 10 grand at 20 grand a year. Right. But it's still, you could see like, now you're looking at like Gitto, like I talked about, taking the same field as you, which is just insane. I mean, like, it's so, so crazy because, again, it's those players, like, when I played, I remember looking at Sammy Tutupo, and, you know, when I was at Sale, and I'm like, man, you played for the All Blacks, and I'm on the same training pitch as you. You know what I mean? So I think it's, like, it's so huge for these guys, and if I was that age, I would be super, super excited because 
the the crazy road I took, it, there's a you know not easier one, but there's definitely something a lot closer and more attainable than uh, some of these other paths you could take. Well, I think, um, and you can never replicate the experience of going and getting outside your comfort zone. I still recommend that for for, for young people because you've got so much time, right? And you're going to learn more from those cultures. You know, we've both been out in Japan and like throw everything you know about life up in the air. It's going to land a different way and you're going to learn something new. What a learning experience, right? And you come out stronger. But what we have now is that the young players have a pathway out of the draft straight into the MLR, which is now, if you do want to go and have those opportunities overseas it's a shop window for you and the league's always there to come back to and we mentioned some of the USA players that have come back to MLR you know Nick Savetta being one this weekend Canadian players are doing that as well I mean Jeff Hassler was a big name to come back Van der Merver's now playing in the league absolute legend um, and Nola have just signed Hanko Dirksen an Ospreys legend so it depends on where you are in your career and what you want to do, but you've got options now and you can't ask for more than that. And, and, and as Phil said, to step out on a field with Adam Nashi Cooper and, um, and Matt Gitto and Marnonu last year and Joe Peterson and some of these big names, I mean, it's just unbelievable for some of these kids coming out of the draft. The, we've really got you on for the stories here, Phil, because you were um, a member of the inaugural professional league here in America, pro rugby. And um, it would be really great to get a peek behind the curtains of that operation because it perhaps wasn't quite what we hoped it would be uh, we were involved in that together and uh, you know from the perspective of seeing how we've grown to MLR um, and it, it did emerge from that and we learned a lot of lessons and it was the we always knew that was going to be the starting point but can you uh, give a real sort of insight into behind the scenes there at uh, the San Diego Breakers? San Diego Breakers. I mean, where do we start, Hodes? Um, In so many ways, it was an awesome experience because, again, it was so crazy. You know, I like I can't even I don't know if anyone can see this, but I can't stop smiling because I'm just like dying laughing thinking of how that whole year kind of unfolded and Todd deep down I wish you did sign for a little bit of craziness (laughs) Um, but I mean you know what what it was like how I would sum it up is you know, I, again, I was always one of those guys who had to grind, right? Like I was never the mo- anywhere near the most skilled. And so I think the biggest shift for me was going to um, San Diego where it was just like the spectrum was so big, I think. And we had a lot of young guys who had no concept of professional rugby. It was like, hey, you know, they woke up one day and they got a, a contract and it was like, oh, I can – just do what I did, like playing twice a week. And now I'm a pro rugby player. And that same mentality was a lot of what we dealt with at San Diego. You know, we had like Nguyenia who'd been a pro his whole life. And then we had like, you know, Bill who had never, Bill's fake, by the way, Bill who had never played, um, you know, had never trained seriously in his life. Um, I just want to make sure I'm not pointing out any names, but it was like the general idea. So like we go to training. There was quite a few Bills on the team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you go to training and I mean, like, talk about like, again, I'm big on like mentality. Sometimes we'd have five guys who would be training because they're like, oh, I've got a niggle in my, like, you know, my pinky toe. And, you know, and you're like looking around, Hodes, I'm sure you were scratching your head, but... I remember like being like, where, where do you even start? Because there's no, you know, in England, there's an academy. Um, if you're playing for Canada or the States, you've like worked really hard because that's your goal. And I think the MLR, a big mistake was just handing like 
contracts out like willy nilly and you know it just kind of sprung out with no like thought into how you're going to kind of cultivate that culture i think and that was probably you know a huge reason for like it was so crazy from like so many reasons we were the luckiest team of all of them in terms of like our setup with exos our training facility um you know i think we had a lot of people in inside who were really trying to make it a a, a pro scenario but <laughs> like i don't know i'm just cracking up thinking about looking at our training some days and being like oh my god we're doing like team runs with five guys before a game and we're going to see like meet half the team the day before you know it was just crazy and our training pitch it was there were no lines it wasn't actually a field it was like half a baseball diamond so we'd go there the start of the day and put cones down for like half a pitch i remember i remember once phil you absolutely kicked off in the gym because you were killing yourself on the uh, stepper and you would do there was a competition and you um you rinsed some of the lads out oh that that was that was the story that came to mind and i'm like oh man it just like actually made me angry because so what happened was it, like half the team wasn't training and we go on the versa climbers i don't know if you guys have done them where you're climbing and we had like the most pro trainer you know pumping out like nfl athletes like no business and we should have been like so thankful we had him and anyways ever like the three guys are training on the field all the injured guys i was injured at this time um go on this versa climber and he said i, I don't know what it was i'm gonna make something up like two thousand meters as fast as you can so i'm like i'm gonna you know absolutely destroy myself win this get off fitness done and i'm going ham and the guy to my left i won't name any names looks at me and he goes hey uh, phil do you think maybe we should like try and go like 30 seconds together hard and then slow. And I look at him and I've done like double his distance. And I was like, so furious. I like, couldn't even, it was just the mindset, right? We had like such the wrong mindset that, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was a tough year in terms of that. That was the most frustrating. But again, I think, you know, it was, it was, it was a good experience on so many other levels, but man, that could have been my last fitness session. That's probably what caused me to retire. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the big lesson there, Phil, is that when we moved on from pro to MLR, there was a year's gap and then we started MLR. The big lesson was we have to get the culture right. We have to have a sense of belonging because there's zero sense of belonging. There was zero sense of pride in what we did in the pro rugby. It was just guys turning up. So we learned so many lessons and we started again. And I'll just say... Um, to have Phil on here as well, Phil's an absolute ambassador and there's certain guys around the game, people like Nate Augsberger and Todd that have gone abroad, but that have had nothing handed to them, but they've fought for everything. They, they have, there's no pathway. They've gone out and found it. They've gone out and found coaches. They've studied videos. They've traveled. They've played for nothing. They've lost money, uh, but yet they've taken themselves to the top, top, top of the game. And one regret I would have is that you know, Phil, when you were playing, that was the experience that you had, but we couldn't give you what we have now of an MLR experience where you would be a top contributor and a great man to have in any culture in the MLR. And that's a bit of a regret of mine for, for mm. someone like you that's worked so hard. But um, again, at least you've got a good story out of it, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, th I think it's always one of those funny ones. And uh, like, you know, again, like, Todd and stuff when you when you take that hard hard route I think like you got to kind of like certainly now I just look back and I think it shapes you know your perspective now and kind of drives you 
because um, those can make or break you. I think, you know, I yeah. could have looked back and been super bitter being like, that was actually the worst year. But instead, I think, you know, in so many ways to me, it was like the best year because it gives me laughs, first of all. Um, and second of all, you know, I still believe like if, if you if you want to if you want to get something and this is what I tell any rugby player, because I, I, I kid you guys not like if you guys see Tom Brady when he was doing that 40 yard dash, like when I was 13, I think I would put Tom Brady to shame. I was that bad. I was uncoordinated, you know, um, so unskilled. Not that I ever became skilled, but I was like a little more skilled. Um, and I think like, Hodes, you always preached it. I think it's just like work ethic. And, you know, Todd, you put yourself out there and, you know, the people who stick with it long enough, you can fail as many times as you want. But if you stick with it long enough, um, those rewards will come. And that's what I would say to you know, so many rugby players out there, because I think it is hard. It's such a hard road. There's no easy way, you know, it's, it's not going to be an easy path for 99.9% .9 of the guys out there or girls. Phil took his different route and he went overseas, but more than any of the rugby experiences, what might stand out is the characters you met Phil and some of the stories from some of those places. As I know you've got a couple of stories under your belt. <laughs> I mean, how long do we have on this podcast? Because, yeah. uh, <laughs> Corbs, I'm sure you know, and Todd, I mean, I don't know if it's just like the English environment, but, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. Talk about Japan. Like, you go into the locker room on an English team, and I was like, my jaw would drop some days. Like, what is going on in here? Um, but I actually kind of, like, thrived in the craziness. You know, I loved it. I was like, and especially, like... <clears throat> We went to sale, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with Steve Diamond, who's not there um, anymore, but was for a very, very long time. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, they've got completely different perspectives. I actually loved how crazy he was. I was like, you know, and I think he kind of liked that I liked he was crazy. And, you know, I was so nowhere yeah. near like the top end of the team. But I remember I was starting, you know, he, he signed me. Um, <clears throat> I started at first wave. He re-signed me for two more years. And... It was, I think he was so big on the culture more so than anything. Like we were way under the salary cap. We were always, you know, for the tenor I was there um, and nothing to do with me. We were overperforming, you know, we were right around that top six, which is a huge achievement, achievement, you know, considering the budget and the people he was managing at the time. But um just one funny story with Dimes. I remember like, I was always like nervous to talk to him and I just felt like, you know, that's the thing about when you're overseas, your spot can be taken at any given moment, right? Like, you know, and so I was always like, I don't know, I was just anxious, you know, because it meant so much to me to be playing at that level. That was always my dream. And I remember I asked him if I could go play for Canada uh, and miss a couple weeks of preseason. And usually it's like a no brainer, right? Like if you're going to England, if you know, and usually, but I was just nervous to ask him. And anyways, he let me go. And I remember we played um, Samoa and I pushed Alessandra to Alagi, right? So I like I gave him a shove and we're at our home stadium, you know, thousands of people watching. I'm like, yeah, what's up? Push him. And then he looked at me and I'm like, oh my God, he's going to hit me here and my career is going to be over. And anyways, the ref, ref breaks it up and I walk away and I'm like talking to Phil Mack, who was the nine at the time. We've got a line out at Samoa's line out. So he's going to do a box kick. I'm like, he's going to absolutely hammer me here. I'm like, Phil, please. If you want me to see another day, don't let him buy you on this box kick. And I was so petrified. Anyways, fast forward, we go to um, Vancouver. This is a bit of a long story, but 
we play our game and I think it was against the US and I won't tell you what happened. We'll skip that part. And we start having some beers. So we're having some beers. Oh, Todd will tell you. Yeah. yeah. He'll fill in the pieces. I'll, I'll leave that bit out. Todd can pick it up there. Um, so we go back to the hotel and we're staying in the same hotel as Samoa. And I've probably had like eight beers or something there. And uh, I see Alessandro and I'm like, oh man, this could be awkward. He's got a beer in his hand. And I'm like, oh my God, this could be like the end of me now. And anyways, he was like the nicest guy, you know, like these Islander team, the Pacific Islanders are so nice. Uh, so I ended up having some drinks with them and I definitely was overserved. Like, I mean, how many beers can the Tuolagis drink? I mean, probably a lifetime for me in one night. So I was trying to keep up with them. Anyways, I FaceTime Sammy Tutupo. So it's eight hour difference, right? So it's like 12 at night, eight in the morning. Sammy Tutupo sits at the front of the team meeting, like literally right beside dimes like and so dimes giving the speech i facetime sammy telling him i'm with you know samoa like having a great time sammy just passes the phone to dimes and i'm so like i'm out of this world and i'm like dimes what's up and he looks and he's like what is going on in front of everyone sammy absolutely threw me under the bus and dimes writes me an email being like phil i just want to let you know your your contract's terminated and my heart i woke up to this email i'm like oh my god so I called Dimes and he's like, I'm just fucking with you, Phil. It's all good. <laughs> but that 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 like sums up Dimes and Sale because like they thrive off that chaos. Like I could only imagine that team meeting when Sammy handed the phone and like I'm yeah. drunk. Dimes is playing it up. He shows everyone the email that he's writing to me the next day. And uh, you know, that was just it was just one of those things though where like those stories at sale, I think, are um, are one of the teams where it had the best team culture. I think we were really, really, really close. And I think that played a huge role in the success that, you know, ultimately, as crazy as Dan does, all the flack he gets, like, look at the position sales in now. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So um, that was one of my stories anyways. That's class. That's class. I know, I know Sammy Tutupo well from back when I lived in New Zealand. Uh, you know, training and, and working out with him. And obviously, uh, Alex uh, uh played with him in Japan for a couple of years, then played with him in, uh, in Newcastle. So, uh, you know, they definitely can't put down uh, the, the beers and the gin with the Tulai gin. Um, but uh, just, you know, rugby, like they say, rugby, the, the world is small, but whenever you have rugby, you know, you just throw a couple names out there, the world just gets even smaller. And, and uh, no, that, that lights me. That's, that's so class. <laughs> And we've all been in team meetings whenever, uh, you know, a phone goes <laughs> yeah. off and the team rules. Uh, I can't imagine what, uh, what kind of stank you got from, uh, from the rest of the crew. That's classic. All right. We've had, we've had some Steve Diamond stories. I, I want some Rob Hoadley stories. No, Sean Edwards stories. <laughs> Hodes let me in on a little yeah. secret. You guys obviously go way back to Wasp, but you've, you've also got some Sean Edwards stories, haven't you? Hodes, I'm sure you've got more than me. I mean, you know, just for perspective, when I was at Wasps, and I say like at Wasps, this was, you know, taking that hard route. I, um, through a connection, I was out, I was playing for Easter and the Champ, but I was unpaid at Wasps, you know, just training, trying to get a, a break. So I was like doubling up. I mean, it was the toughest year I've ever had. Um, but I was like absolutely petrified of Sean. I mean, I remember, Hodes, we were like standing outside, 
And, you know, like I'm so out of my comfort zone here and we've got all these players and then Sean, like an imaginary ball, we're in like a circle and he's like, move it, move it. And I'm like, what do you want me to do with my, and he's like looking at me and I'm like, oh my God, like, what do you want me to do here? Like an imaginary ball moving our hands. He's obviously trying to mimic, like keeping the ball moving as you, as you, uh, but it was like, you know, he probably said like 10 words to me that entire year, but that was one of them where he like gave me this death stare and he's like, move the ball. And I'm like, I don't have a ball. <laughs> you're moving the imaginary ball wrong yeah yeah what are you doing <laughs> just yeah just for context just for context on sean and I, we should do some more stories later on in the pod there were so many stories of this guy he is a legend by the way he's the nicest bloke in the world i absolutely love him and he's so generous he's just the best bloke but he's clean off there's so many Sean Edwards stories that there was a drinking game at Wasps and you had to say a Sean Edwards story as uh, as it gets to you. You say a Sean Edwards, drink, neck your drink, and then it goes to the next person. And it would do about three laps. There could be 40 people in, in the game and it would go around about three three oh. times with a new story. One of the best characters in the game. My opinion to be a good coach is I think you've got to be a little crazy. Um, I also did a year with London Welsh in the premiership. And I don't know if you guys know Lynn Jones. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Like talk about like, I was just like, what is going on half the time? But he was, again, I don't know if it was just our team. We like thrived off the craziness, you know, and it was like, if this is how crazy training is, there is nothing that can phase us in a game. You know what I mean? And he would just do like the weirdest things. But I remember doing like a team circle and he would just be peeing in the middle of a circle, giving us a, a team talk. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if this is like a hype up right now or like what is like going on. I don't know. There's some method to the madness, but um, he was he was crazy, man. I mean, I think that's a Welsh thing as well, because Paul Turner was a classic where he came in one, this was, I wasn't there, but I've heard this story, so it could be completely made up. But that he came in at half time and the team were losing badly. And he, he's just calm, he just looks around and he goes, you can tell how good a team is by how much funny there is in the stadium. I've had a look around and I can't see any. Have a think about it. And that was it, and he walked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Oh. I believe it, I believe that. Speaking of stories, while we're here, <laughs> and and we got USA Canada, we got we got we got two of the boys, we got two of the poster boys, the two of the internationals that went around the block. One of you two's got to have some good uh, USA Canada memories with the two of you on the field. Love to hear something. Todd, you want to take this one, or wh who wants to start? Oh here? man, I mean, the thing is that that's the greatest. I mean, sports rivals. It, it, that's what uh, what what makes sports go, and and there isn't any uh, love lost whenever you know, the Eagles take on Canada uh, or, or vice versa. But I mean, just the fierce battle between uh, between the two nations. And it was, there's nothing like test rugby, but uh, there's nothing like test rugby when it's a rival. After retiring, and I didn't think it whenever I did, because you, you, you kind of learned to like, okay, these are the people you, you kind of hate. These are the people that you, you object. But once once you kind of hang up the boots, even even after you know games, you'd be like, okay, you're, you're cordial, but you're not really you know mates mates. But once hanging up the boots, and once you're able to have these conversations and have this, it's a, it's a huge respect because we're up against the same thing. And you know, I've definitely uh, been in a lot of pain. I felt some sorrow in the heart. Uh, felt you know, had some of my best games against Canada. 
but you know, it's uh, it, it's one of those awesome things that that played a huge chapter and informed who I am without without a doubt. Yeah, I think just to follow what Todd said there, I mean, obviously it was you know the biggest game for us in so many ways whenever we played the states, but. I think it is funny because, you know, I'm such a big proponent of like getting to know, you know, your teammates, certainly. And also like in, in, in the Prem and stuff, I thought because guys are always interchanging, you get to know these other guys and half the time you could play a team uh, and you're, you're best friends with a lot of the guys. So I always love that with the States. I definitely agree. Like Todd, no offense. I didn't really want to talk to you as much as cordial. You know what I mean? It was just like, you never, but when we were at the breakers, I remember being like, Oh my God, I hope Todd signs with us. You know, like I remember like being really excited because that was my first time that I got to know American rugby players, you know, like on a, on a personal level where you're actually playing with them. Otherwise I had like, the only thing I, you know, I was playing with Nguenya, for example, who I'd lined up against and absolutely hated on the field. And I just thought it was super cool to get to like know these guys, you know, train with them, go out for beers with them. And it was just a completely different perspective, which I think is cool in so many ways now for these Canadian guys, you know, because they're going to play each other and like they'll definitely be up for the game. But it's back to that, like, well, I think rut makes rugby so special over any other sport, you know, I've, I've been around a lot of other pro athletes and they don't have the same thing that rugby does, which is that like shake a hand, have a beer mentality after a game. And I think it's really, really special. And I think it'll, it'll build that USA Canada relationship even more. Phil, thanks so much for coming on uh, from the bottom of our hearts, mate. We've had great laughs, great insight, good times, a bit of USA Canada banter as well. Uh, what more could we ask for? Thanks so much, guys. I mean, it was a blast from the past. I, I'm feeling my age right now, um, but I really, really did enjoy it. And uh, hopefully we can do this again next time. Um, Todd, I think beer's on you or what? Always. <laughs> That's how to end a rivalry. Get your rivals yeah. to uh, buy the beer. Well played, Phil. <laughs> Welcome to the MLR Breakdown. I've got Alex and Rob here. We're going to go through round four. What do you guys think? Is the, is the, is the play improving across the board? Yeah, I think one of the things we picked up on, Todd, and we're going to talk in a bit more detail, is um, a bit of a thread through the week. We talked about defence last week, and uh, this week it was, OK, well, how can we break that down? And there was a, a lot more of the attacking, kicking game on show. Uh, so we'll talk a bit about that, but it's great to see the attacking teams keeping a threat right across the field. So teams either have to respect that, spread a little and leave some gaps through the middle, or as we uh, saw a bit this week, they got caught narrow and there was some space exploited out wide. So uh, that was a great progression, I think, from last week. I agree, Rob. I thought the competitiveness was there. I thought the, the layers to the attacking game plan. I thought there were some strong defensive performances from certain teams and, you know, upsets and shock results and, you know, lots to, lots to dive into. Four away wins and three games down to the final play of the game as well. So great for the fans. That's, a, that's what we want. Exciting rugby and, and keep people on the edge of their seats. And, uh, you know, let's just go through that whole round four. Um, you know, starting with L.A. Uh, at Toronto, but actually not in Toronto. Um, L.A. 43, Toronto 16. Um, I thought L.A. started a bit slow, but uh, got their composure early in the second half. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that one? Corbs, kick us off. You know, I think the question, can LA win on the road, has been answered. Is there some work to do? Obviously. I think um, they did enough to win the game. I thought they took their tries and uh, the key tries on either side of the half time really just opened up the gap and gave them the breathing room to sort of 
control the game. They never really looked threatened by Toronto, except for maybe one or two moments on the line. They got a little dicey. There were lots of competitive action throughout the game. You, you saw flashes of, of what LA, you know, has shown in attack. You saw a little bit of, um, you know, evolution in some areas. But I think at the same time, uh, I haven't been in any of the review meetings or, or heard anything, but I just I just feel like there'll be a little bit of frustration that they could have done more in that game uh, too many times. We're just kind of hanging around, but not much going on at, at times. But, you know, an away win is an away win. And I thought the Arrows came, you know, game. We said they looked better in the round before and, and they put up a decent fight. And, and you know, I think they, they showed if they hold on to the ball that, you know, LA have to be careful with their discipline at times because teams could chip away at them. Yeah, it's lovely to be frustrated when you win, by, when you score 40 points every week, isn't it, Todd? Yeah, no kidding. I, I would love to be in that situation. <laughs> Not much of my career I was, though. Moving on to Austin and Nola. Austin with a big away win. Um, some would say an upset. Yeah, well, Austin are coming out of the shadows, aren't they? The sterilizers. They seem to sterilize every game and make the opposition, and in, in fact, the whole game, kind of the standard looks bad in their games, I thought. And coming out of Utah game, which they nearly won, and, and Legion game, which they nearly won, I thought, geez, these guys just find a new way of losing every week when they're in the game. However, they were building, creating building blocks in those games, uh, which now we're seeing the fruit of. If you've gone from being, let's be honest, a laughing stock. The greatest compliment I can pay that uh, group at the moment is that they can sterilise the opposition. What a great place to start building. And they started building from their defence. You can clearly see a belief amongst the players from the start. The coaching staff are doing a great job. And now they've turned it into two wins in a row. Uh, so that is a fantastic start for the AGs. And I think they're going to build layers on top of that. Um, again, they, they, they did exploit the kicking game. Obviously, the Waters try uh, at the end was fantastic to see. What a way to finish. Um, and also another note, to do it with uh, their two locks going off, Bailey and De Chavez early, uh, that was fantastic. They did a good job to hold on in the scrum um, and, and respond to, to Nola's late try as well. So a great win for AGs and uh, up to second behind their mates at the top of the standings. Yeah, I really like the way they pressured um, Nola at times and I think you know they took a bit from other teams where you've got a team like Nola that wants to play a lot in their own half and 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 look to play and they were just tactically quite clever kicked a few times that, that frustrated them and turned them and, and, and I just like the way they got the reward of that turnover and they converted it into opportunities or points and it, it was just a clever you know they, they'd obviously seen Nola's style uh, sussed out a game plan to, to try and win it and, and they executed and they did enough and, and they held out at the end and, and, and got the win and you know Nola came back into a game that they keep playing so at some point they get opportunities and I think as they were chasing and and more and more time was going into the game you, you saw flashes of, of, of their sort of brilliance and attack but you know credit Austin for holding out and getting the win there and like you said two for, uh, two wins in a row and, and, and sitting well in the west. Their owner, Adam Gilchrist, must be happy looking at the standings, uh, you know, number one and two, L.A. And, uh, and Austin. And, I mean, credit to him, you know, and, and the staff that he's brought in. You know, I mean, you, the, the environment, those Definitely players. the staff. Guilty. Guiltini. <laughs> Next up, you know, I think this was a huge upset. Uh, Houston hosting San Diego. Houston went up 34 to San Diego, 32. Um, my goodness, you know, that's, uh, what do you guys think? Upset right away or, or what's, what's happening? Take it away, Rob. Take it away. This one's you, mate. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, unfortunately, Austin are doing a great job, uh, being the sterilizers. Unfortunately, Legion, it's the opposite. They're making everyone they play look like world beaters. 
Um, because, you know, Houston, obviously, uh, no points in two games. And they, they come out and score 30-odd. And ATL very good against Legion last week and, and very ordinary today. Um, so there's a lot going on there. We, we, we've mentioned before the move to Vegas hasn't worked. Uh, you know, maybe it may have been forced on them. But the conditions there have been very tough for the players, very tough uh, for the staff. And you've got to prepare properly in this league. Like You've got to get your preparation right if you expect the results on the field. So that's shown. And I think a couple of things in the game, um, it was interesting early on, you could see that uh, Testy and Joe had put together a slightly different attack plan. So I thought Joe was sitting a little bit deeper because we, I say, Legion had struggled against ATL by playing flat to the line with no movement. So the ATL rush defence, it should be high risk, high reward. But as we said last week, there's no risk if there's no movement in the attack. You just come up and catch them behind the gain line. But this week, uh, as New York showed, and we'll talk about that, there was movement and it changed, made the ATL dis- defence have to make decisions. And this week with uh, Legion... Joe played a little deeper early. They used Sam as a decoy and they pushed it into the wide space to try and move the defence before they went through them. Now, they weren't getting around the edge of them cleanly, but they created that beautiful kick space for Cecil Africa. I mean, the South African link there was unbelievable. Um, Peterson to Africa to Basson in the corner, a beautiful kick uh, kick and uh, pick up. So it's a slightly different approach from them. But for Legion to get back to Legion, they still need to find their penetration through the middle. And Corbis, I know you're looking for a few of their runners to step up. No, absolutely. I I think it's a combination of factors. I think, you know, Sam Wuching is a one-man band carrying at the moment. I, we need Kenny Nagaskege to come back in for, for, for Legion and really bring a boost there. Uh, same thing with Tamalau as well. I feel like he needs to up that sort of carrying load if he's on the field. Sad to see Rob Shaw come off with an injury. And uh, it sounds like it's it's not... The greatest news for him, but I'm sure more will unveil in the week. But but on a whole as well, I thought Houston's ability to you know to go from stale and crusty to quote someone from 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 last week's uh, results to come out here and come guns blazing against the Legion. You've got to give Houston some credit in this game. I think their scrum. Uh, was a massive momentum shifter. The amount of penalties and pressure they were able to put on it, it just gave them field position, control. And then, and, and once they had that territory, I thought they used their runners really well. The two big Fijians were, were, were breaking and causing havoc for Legion in defense. Sam Windsor at 12, you know, an, another playmaker, another kicking option. The attack seemed to, to work a little better for me. And I thought Boyer, for his debut for, for Houston, actually had a very good game at nine. It, it was sad to see him move on from LA but he's he, he got to start there they I, we, we'd highlighted before I felt they were struggling a little bit without Roos in the nine shirt I just think he gave him a bit more emphasis at nine especially as his forwards gave him uh, an armchair ride yeah they looked a completely different team and I think you've got to credit Boyer and also I think Povey was very good at 10 and I think actually he freed them up and looked sharper than Windsor has at 10 um so I think that's a great progression. They found something there. Sometimes you have to just stumble upon it, you know, because we'd said last week that they depended a lot on individual runners. And obviously, Diggy Diggy Latte and Balakava were looking very good, but the halfbacks brought them into the game, gave them those opportunities. And then just for Legion, uh, obviously, that's three and four, three losses in four. Their previous three losses came over the course of 22 games. So... Let's hope the move back to San Diego uh, and obviously we've got the big, the big signings uh, coming back in 
um, can can set them right. There's still a lot of quality in that squad. Uh, they just got to be put in the position, I think, to bring that out on on the field. And I, I think that will happen over the coming weeks coming back to San Diego. At what point, if Utah keep going well and keep running away and LA keep winning and you've got Austin running, at what point for San Diego do you start to worry of them being able to catch the teams? Because I feel like I agree with you that at some point that team's going to click. Yeah. There's too much talent on the field, a cumulative time together, like the coaching staff. It's all going to go on, on an upward trajectory. They're not getting worse from where they are now. But But the question for me is like, how much time do Legion have to click and, and chase down those scores they'll need to make sure they don't miss out on the playoffs? Because we thought the West was going to be maybe LA and Utah, but Austin a game and, and it just, you know, it spices up the, you know, spices up the mix a little bit. Seven days they play Utah and LA the week after. So LA's a tough one. <laughs> so got to, got to get back home and then make a statement against Utah. And I'm being sort of a facetious there and a bit simplistic, but that Utah game is, is a big one now. But when you're talking about the rest of the teams and who's getting away, these are only four points behind Austin. They're only one week away from catching up and getting to second in the West. So, you know, you going to keep things in perspective. As we say, a great squad coming back home and a big win against Utah uh, next week. And things change. I mean, I, we'll come on to the Utah game now, Todd, but they missed a big opportunity there because, if you again, you look at the opposition, it was first to be last coming into the weekend. So... Really, on form, they should have beaten Seattle at home. Then they'd be right up there in the West with San Diego to come next week. It's a big missed opportunity, I think, for Utah, Todd. That slides us in right to the next uh, next game. Seattle 20, Utah 15. I mean, again, you know, uh, it was good to see fans in the stands, uh, you know, with that one. Uh, it looked like a good atmosphere and some hard rugby. I mean, uh, do you guys have any... Uh, injection of your uh of your nerdiness of of, of this game i think he's talking to you <laughs> it was a big win for seattle and you know i don't want to say anything but it seems like teams they play la the next week they come out and get the w that seems to be the the pattern that we're starting to see there and and i thought seattle re re responded really well in that game they, they took their opportunities early they, they boxed clever i think utah's biggest enemy is themselves you know errors turnovers, knock-ons, you know, just not holding on to possession, a few errors um, here and there along the way. Just never let their attack get rolling. I thought Seattle marshaled them really well, came in ahead at the break. I thought Utah responded really well in the second half, put some pressure on, but then Seattle finding enough in them to go down there, get that try in the corner. Um, you know, the, the ball over the top from Devereux Ferris was lovely. Aaron Matthews with the try. And and then, you know, that was sort of, they sort of stretched that lead back. And then it just took guts and a bit of grit. And I think when you when you haven't won a game a long time and you have that emphasis to, to hold out, it's a rivalry. Utah threw the kitchen sink at the end, like they did a little bit um, in, in the week before, where they're just chasing chasing with the ball carriers they have, with, with, with Teo, with, I thought Mika Cruz, had a, had a great game as well. I, I, they almost did it, but that key turnover and the penalty at, at the line for Seattle was the game and, and that was the win for Seattle. And it, it could have gone either way. It was a tough game. But I think, you know, there was there's question marks about would Seattle be at the races this year? You know, we had Matt Turner on last week, you know, tried to be nice, but at the same time had to ask some tough questions. That's exactly the response you want. And that's exactly the response the league needs as well. Yeah. And you had the big names stepping up, right? You had Haiting uh, and Duratello making big breaks through the middle. Uh, and they, they, they did shake it up a bit, right? Because there was no Seema. Um, 
Dev Ferris started at nine. JP Smith moved out to the wing. Um, so they were trying something different, uh, which you kind of have to do in that situation, one in seven. Uh, and great for them that they can start getting some momentum. And as you say, Corbs, there's nothing like ending a game on a goal line stand. Moving into the last game of the weekend, we had uh, Atlanta hosting New York. You know, New York took it to them 27-17. Um, I mean, what was your guys' uh, you know, thoughts on, on that one? Were you guys expecting that scoreline? What, uh, what are you guys thinking? Atlanta were good last week. Yes, they have a game plan. We talked about it. The way they want to play, the kicking game, the layers, the defense, the pressure. But I also feel like the Atlanta hype train got out of the out of the station and was just motoring at a level of knots all the way to the MLR final on August 1st. But, but you know, you cannot look a game in front of yourself in this league. And I thought New York came with a game plan that was tailor-made to combat a style of rugby like that. I think when you've got Hollingshead at 10, who had a fantastic game, you've got Andy Ellis at 9, you have Foden at at 15, you all of a sudden have a kicking game recipe to start winning some of those exchanges, kick a lot better than Legion kicked the week before, and mean that the possession and territory battle was pretty even in the game because they were able to combat. They're constantly winning kicking exchanges. Yes, Atlanta still had their moments, but then also what they did with ball in hand. They put pressure. They put pressure. They took their chances. They they took tries. They got over the game line. They made it hard for, for Atlanta to exit from their half. And you could see Atlanta were getting frustrated. And it was just, you know, a, a, a great performance from New York. And I love the way they ball. They just were very efficient with the with the possession they have, offloads. You know, you'd think maybe Atlanta would come up with line speed, but then either be a show and go, a ball back inside, an offload at the back. They sort of used that Atlanta at line speed to almost uh, you know, hurt them in a way that I thought was very clever. A big part of that, obviously, uh, Hollingshead was outstanding today. The Bear Plenty man, uh, they're high on him in New York. You know, he's got a zippy distribution, good kicking game. And uh, we saw his run threat today as well. Um, a beautiful uh, pre-planned uh, front, front peel on the line out uh, with Ellis scooting down the sideline and feeding into Quinn uh, Naguatai, a uh, young Canadian prospect there on the right wing. Um so good to see that variation. And then, again, the def- this is how the league's going to move, right? Because we had a short preseason. So the defences were looking really strong last week. Now the attack's going to say, well, how can we work these defences out? And to simplify it, you know, when you're looking to break down a defence, like what makes you tired in life? Just in life or rugby, right? Moving makes you tired. If you have to move too much, you're, you're going to get out of breath and tired. Stress making decisions that's what tires you out and that's when you start making bad decisions or not physically being able to go to the next space and that's what Rooney did to ATL whether it be moving them in the kicking game so they have to move backwards or having options so defender now just can't fly up at an attacker easily he has to check his feet and he has to make a decision on a short decoy line or someone out the back or even better a playmaker who's also a threat at the line, showing inside, showing outside, that's going to slow your, slow your speed down, slow your aggression down and make you think more. And when you have to keep moving and keep thinking, you're going to make wrong decisions. So I thought uh, Rooney did really uh, a really nice job in attack there today. I mean, uh, I hope coaches are listening in and taking notes from you, Rob, and, uh, and players taking notes from you, Corbs, and, and Rob as well. Because, I mean, there, there's nobody dissecting games that much. I, I don't watch rugby how you guys watch rugby. I actually enjoy the, you know, the tries, big hits, and that's as, that's as deep as I'll get into it. But uh, 
but I, I learn something new every time I, I jump in. But, you know, that wraps up round four. And, and what I see from, from round one to round four is it's actually getting some proper rugby. And, you know, you saw people were ready, but they just weren't game ready. And, and they weren't working as a team. Now they've had a few weeks to work together. Uh, coaches made some changes. Players are getting to know each other more and more. And uh, we're, we're getting a, a great product uh, to put out there. And, you know, credit to all the, the teams that are hosting these games um, and the coverage and the rugby network that's actually, uh, you know, making it, you know, feasible and, and airable and easy to watch because it's, uh, it, it's awesome to see. So, again, thanks, guys, for, uh, for dissecting it, giving me all the intel and everybody else. That, that's brilliant. And that's round four in the books. What do you got for us next, Alex? We actually have a new uh, sponsored segment in the show. Very proud to announce that we have Rob Hoadley's MLR Winners and Losers brought to you by ASM Scholarships. ASM Scholarships connecting student athletes around the world with sports scholarships at Merrick University. Check out asmscholarships.com to get your free consultation to see if you qualify for an American sports scholarship. Rob, what are your biggest winners and losers for the weekend? Okay, thank you, Corbs. This week, we're going to kick off with the kicking game. So, extending the pitch, extending the width, finding the space. Obviously, Austin with the big one, the cross kick. Roderick Waters with the great pickup for the last minute win, their second win in a row. Fantastic skill and execution. And moving on to the Legion game, three attacking kicking tries. Started with the South African connection, Cecil Africa left peg. Nice little putter down for Basson, scoring the corner. And Houston replied with two, two of their own. One, a penalty try uh, to the right-hand side. And the Pangeline and offload for what has to be the try of the week. And in the same game, kickers from all around the league are going to be wanting to buy Joe Peterson a drink. Because the man with the best brain in the business... He gets a breakaway try and instead of putting the ball under the post where it's an automatic conversion, he goes to the side of the post to make sure he can pick up two points for himself. Every kicker around the MLR is going to be telling all their mates that they've got to score on the side of the posts. Do you think Peterson was chuffed with uh, Cam Clark for that kick to win it? Who, who seemed to just go as far as possible away from the post to get to give him a shot at, to tie the game. And our second winner for the week, you can't ignore him. Adam Gilchrist has got his two teams up the top of the league. What do you say? Have you ever seen an owner come in and take a brand new franchise and a franchise that couldn't buy a win for two years to the top of the league? Guilty. It's the Giltinis and the Gilgronies. Whilst they've taken steps forward to really move MLR forward, their opponents, who you thought would be the main competition in Seattle, Toronto and San Diego, have taken steps backwards. So a massive congratulations to the guilty parties at the top of the table. Gilchrist is obviously doing a great job of looking after his players, staff and creating an environment for them to succeed. Another really important winner for the week. I think it's great to shine light on the American talent in the league. We've talked about the, the draft graduation crew that have been coming through and do a great job in the league so far. But another feature now is the top class of American players that want to come back to America from uh, great professional careers overseas. It was great to see Nick Savetta running out for Rooney this week. And he joins a host of players, the likes of uh, Andrew Duratello. Bryce Campbell coming back to America to join 
Nate Augsburger, Dylan Fawcett, and these stalwarts of the rugby here in MLR. Fantastic to see, and it's going to pay great benefit for Gary Gold and the national team. And in sadder news, we'll come to the losers of the week. And for me, not themselves a loser, but let's call it a losing opportunity. I really think Utah had such a great opportunity this week. It was top v bottom coming into the week. They were there in the game. They couldn't quite make it happen at the end. But they had a great opportunity with San Diego coming up next week to really stake a claim in the West. Still doing a great job, but I think it was a lost opportunity this week. Okay, and finally, um, on an unfortunate list of losers, it looked like coming into the week it was going to be a winning week. Great news coming out of Vegas slash San Diego that the Legion were going to move back home and be back with the supporters and the community in San Diego. The big news of the talisman, Paddy Ryan, coming back to San Diego. Unfortunately, with the result and the big loss of Robshaw, what could have been a winning week probably turned into a losing week, but they'll be keen to change things around when they get back home. Boom. And that is a wrap on the first ever Rob Hoadley's MLR Winners and Losers of the Week, brought to you by ASM Scholarships. That's a wrap on the MLR Breakdown. And that's a wrap on the show, Todd. I-, I thought it was a good one. A little different than the last couple, but, you know, a few more laughs, way more stories. And uh, it-, it was fun time. That's how I like it, you know. It was story time, catching up, uh, you know. Mac- McKenzie was great, you know, having that. You and Hodes, you know, dissecting the, the games of, uh, of-, of round four. So, you know, happy to be back and looking forward to the next one. Exactly. Bring on next week's show. Bring on next round at MLR. And uh, for everyone listening, thanks for all support with the pod. Thanks for keep sharing it at the American Rugby Show on Instagram, at the Am Rugby Show on Twitter. Somehow someone beat us to it. We'll see you in the next week's episode and we'll announce our guest in the week. So pay attention to our socials. It's going to be a good one. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.